Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Well, welcome to Real Cuff Radio, and I'm excited tonight. Julie's on the line. How are you doing, Julie? Wonderful. Uh, I'm thankful, too, for this opportunity and look forward to how she is going to talk and inspire those who are listening. And tonight we have Beverly Klein, and she is the founder of Living Alternatives, which she started in 1982, so it's, it's been 34 years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's and been a so, long time. Yeah, so how are you doing tonight? And I'm you doing really well. You? I'm excited to share with people the good things that the Lord's doing here in East Texas. I, I know I hear people call you Bev all the time, but I didn't know if you wanted us to call you Beverly or Bev, or what do you oh, usually go by? Bev is fine. Most people call me Bev. <laughs> okay. Um, well, Julie, I know you had some questions you wanted to ask before we got going, and if you want to do that now, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm actually very curious of, uh, I don't know your story on where this all started from. I do know that when I was studying for my degree and having to write a paper, that one of the issues that you deal with with adoption today, uh, when I was researching public statistics, it said that back when they started them in 1969, we used to have 9% adoption, but now we have only available 1% that are adoptable. And I found that very interesting that, um, you know, statistics-wise speak for themselves. But now that we're close to election, we're not necessarily talking on all these issues, but this still is. Uh, yes. I, where you want to go with that, but um, that was one thing that I was really curious on what you've begun to find out uh, more statistics than when I did this paper six months ago. Well, I don't know that I'm really too much, I, I'm, I don't do a lot of statistics because I'm working very much, um, you know, face-to-face with the young women that are facing unplanned pregnancies. But I can tell you in 34 years of ministry that, well, I would say every five years, the kind of girl that we see changes in that our culture changes. So as our culture changes, um, the kind of needs and the brokenness that's in our culture is what up is, you know, the, the kind of young lady who comes to our ministry. Living Alternatives is a ministry that um, serves um, young women who are in an who are in an unplanned pregnancy, and we want to present life choices to them. The umbrella has many different ministries underneath it because 34 years is just, it, it, the door is kind of opened for us. We started with the Pregnancy Resource Center, and then uh, as we were seeing young ladies, and it was like, oh, we, they need a place to stay, so then we started a maternity home, and then they came to live with us, and then it was like, well, I would place my baby for adoption if I knew my baby was going to go to a Christian home with Christian parents that would raise my baby to 
to know Jesus, and so then we became licensed as an adoption agency, and so it has gone on and on from there. Uh, But since you're asking the adoption question, I guess I would just reference it by saying that, yes, um, it changes all the time. Uh, When we first, well, for years as we did maternity, as we still do maternity home ministry for up until maybe maybe five years ago, we would see 30% of our young ladies who live in our maternity home choose for, would make adoption choices for their unborn children. Not that they came to our home saying they wanted to place their baby for adoption, and but um, when they would live with us, and then we would, you know, we present both adoption and parenting. But mostly, we emphasize that they need to know what is it that God's saying to them, and what do they want for their child. And and really, placing a child for adoption takes a lot of love. It's not about rejection or abandonment, but it's about I love my baby so much that I'm willing to lay down my own life, my own desire to parent my baby, so that so that my baby could go to a home that would really be able to provide all that my child would need more than I could. You know, that's that's really where our girls come from. The other interesting thing is that the more mature a girl is, the more likely she is to choose for adoption because it's a very mature decision to make. The less mature she is, the less likely she is to place for adoption. So you can see how that affects our society and our culture uh, in the long run as you as you multiply that many times over in our culture. So basically today we have a lot less uh, choices or girls choosing to place their child for adoption. It has a lot to do with them. We're kind of in a, well, just our our culture is in in an entitlement place right now, and it's like, no, it's my baby. I'm not giving my baby away. And so, uh, and, and also there's more of a sense of, oh, it'll work out somehow. Five years ago, ten years ago, you know, young, not just young girls, but just, you know, ladies that would come to our home because we serve all ages, uh, they would say, well, um, I want, you know, I want to make a good decision. I just need to know all the the facts. And we have all of our girls think, you know, really pray through and think through what does it mean to parent a child and what would it mean to place and the pros and cons. Well, a few years ago, there was more openness to look at the pros, and now because the the culture is, and it's not just about uh, entitlement culture, maybe that's not even the right word, it's more that we have had a breakdown of the family in our culture, we've had a breakdown of even honoring the marriage, uh, that marriage is even important, we have more and more young people, not just young people, we have more and more people just living together instead of making marital commitments, and so it's almost it's almost obsolete that nobody, you know, they, they just think, well, I'll make it somehow because there's so many that are um, single parenting. Good point. Uh, I didn't think about that, but that is true. We have gone to a lot of different issues. And, you know, the sad thing is, too, that my heart goes out to people who are spending so much in infertility mm-hmm. and they they would want to adopt, but yet they're having to maybe even look outside this nation mm-hmm. because there's just you know yeah even yeah. one of my friends I think they tried for ten years it was just heartache heartache in that so mm-hmm. yeah because um, for every child 
for every infant that's available for adoption, there's 20 waiting families for that one infant. Wow. That's, that's statistically what's going on. But now, of course, we also do a lot of work with um, children that have been rema- removed by the state and they're in state custody because of neglect and abandonment and abuse. And so we have plenty of children that are available for adoption. We, there's 300 thousand children every year that are removed from, uh, you know, situations that are not in their best interest, 100,000 of those children are will become available for adoption every year. But, you know, people are, usually when they're first thinking about adoption, especially when you're addressing the need of infertility, of course they would want to adopt an infant. But I understand that, but at the same time, there's a real, real, we have a national crisis with children that are in foster care, uh, even children that are in residential treatment centers and in group homes and are not being parented. And so we have plenty of children that need parents. But the infant, there is an infant crisis, and that isn't, that is because we have less girls choosing. But if you want to go back a few years, obviously since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was legalized in our nation, there was a a very direct impact on children that were available for adoption simply because abortion was taking our children, um, you know, in great numbers. And so abortion has really impacted that. Again, not to say that every girl who is not married should place their baby for adoption, but what our ministry does is just, help them make a more thoughtful decision about what, what they're choosing and not just defaulting into to a parenting decision. That's, that's how most women when faced with unplanned pregnancy. Even Once we get them past the abortion choice, it's like, okay, I'm not going to have abortion. I do see that that you know, kills a child. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I would never place my baby for adoption. Oh, okay, I'll take him home. And that's kind. Of, that's what I call a defaulted decision. There's no thought to that. It's it's that I'm, I'm refusing the other option, and so therefore I'm going to parent. So there are. I mean, we've done. I don't know. I think maybe five or six infant adoptions this year, um, with young ladies that are thinking it through and saying, okay, I want to do this now. It takes a lot of support um, to help a, a young woman process through through what adoption really means because it really is losing. I always say that, you know, for for us working in, in that aspect of the ministry, it's always about grief because the baby always dies to someone. By dies, I mean leaves that person. So either the uh, adoptive couple loses the child that they had hoped to adopt because the mother chooses uh, not to place when they thought she was going to, or the birth mother actually places her baby for adoption, and then she grieves the loss of that child. So grieving is a is very much an ever-present part of our ministry, really supporting people through that process. Because it's still, it's a child. Placing a baby for adoption is just, sometimes we get a little too, um, I don't know, glib when we say, well, you know, don't have an abortion, you can give that baby to me. Well, that makes sense in, if you're looking at it in a very um, distant sort of way. But the thing is, it's not so much that a woman doesn't want her baby. What she doesn't want is she doesn't want the pregnancy. She doesn't want the, um, 
you know, all that that will mean to walk through that pregnancy. But once that baby's born, it's not that she doesn't want the baby. She doesn't want the pregnancy. So they go to the abortion clinic really looking for a negative pregnancy test. So our job as the body of Christ is to come alongside and help support them through that that walk. So it's a selfish decision to have an abortion, but it's a double unselfish decision to decide to chase to place the child for adoption. And some of that just comes from, I know, you know, it, it, you can go back to how did God design us as women? He designed us to to have babies. And so the natural instinct by God's design is that a mother would keep her baby and love her baby. And, and when we do something that's outside of God's design, the natural consequences of that does not disappear, meaning the natural outcome of that, not consequence, but the outcome of that, meaning any woman who has a baby loves her baby, wants to keep her baby, you see. So how do we get past that? How do we help that, support that young lady into an adoption decision? Well, we have to help her understand that there's loving couples that would love to raise her child that um, can assure her that their, her baby is going to grow up to not just love Jesus and become, you know, live in a healthy environment, but also that there would be a respect and gratefulness from the couple back to the birth mother. So it's a very, it's kind of a complicated ministry to really fully explain it, but uh, we have times with our adoptive families that we prepare them to join us in ministry to a birth mother so that they can really understand their child's biological identity and really honor and respect that. You know, uh, we never started out with, but for the listeners as well as myself, how did you ever start on this path? <laughs> oh, we might have to have two or three different programs to get into all of that. But um, actually, all right, people, to start in view. <laughs> people ask me all the time, you know, when did it begin? And, you know, obviously the ministry began in 1982 when I was helping a young girl looking for, needing a free pregnancy test to figure out, you know, if she was pregnant or not. And and in East Texas, we live in a very conservative area. And so I went to the health department. I was given an 800 number to get a free pregnancy test, which was a little confusing, but um, we I went through that process. It ended, it ended up being an abortion clinic in Dallas that was, which is about 100 miles from us, that was um, pretty, you know, they were hiring the services of a lab locally. And then I called the 800 number back for the results, and that's when I found out it was an abortion clinic. Wow. So at that point, I was just like, I cannot believe that they are are uh, taking advantage of women, young women, middle-aged women in a very vulnerable place, and then say, you know, well, for $300, we'll solve your problem and perform an abortion. You go back to your normal life. Well, I knew she was not going to go back to her normal life because actually this ministry began in 1979, when I myself found myself in an unplanned pregnancy on two different occasions in one year as I was involved with a man for a six-year relationship, not married, and yet we, being the young and up-and-coming people who thought we knew more than God knew, obviously we didn't know the Lord at that time, but made very selfish decisions. Well, we make I made that decision based on immediate circumstances, as do girls do today. Well, that making a quick 
decision in a crisis moment leads to a lifetime of regret because they're seldom, I wasn't, and neither were not, most of the girls that we work with are thinking, you know, they're just, they're focused on the pregnancy instead of what is the next 30, 40 years hold for you, you know. So because, again, it goes back to that God's design thing that he never created us to destroy our children. And so when we do that, especially with, uh, well, when we do that, we always suffer the consequences of that because it's so outside of God's design. So we have guilt and we have shame and we have, um, you know, all the post-aborted things that come into women's lives, which which we know happens. So um, that was a long story, but I fought my way through that, and actually we were the father of my child and myself. We were, uh, our children, we were two years in the world together and then um, four years as Christians together because, ironically, as because of the abortions, he ended up having a lot of just emotional Uh, breakdowns in his life and people don't understand this either they feel like this is a woman's issue that a man does not uh, suffer the con the um, the fallout of an abortion but the deal the situation is is that they do because you see it's not the abort it's not the procedure that is the sin it what what does the procedure cause that's the sin that's mm-hmm. where the brokenness of design comes. Otherwise, the proceed, abortion is just a, it's a procedure like, like we would name having your tonsils out or your appendix out. That's a procedure. So if you undergo the procedure of an abortion, you end up killing a child. Well, we don't in our, in our makeup to, to, to even make that decision um, there's such a hardening of your mind and heart in order to go to the abortion clinic and say, this is the decision I'm going to make. So we're not in touch with that, but that does not, or women are not necessarily in touch with it. In fact, I don't think, even when they know, even in today's enlightened society, when they know that it's a baby, it still takes a certain amount of deadening of your conscience and hardening of your heart to walk into an abortion clinic and do something that is so contrary to the way that God created myself or any woman who puts themselves through that procedure. So, um, but it's, again, what did it cause? It caused the death of a child. Well, that child that is lost in an abortion abortion procedure doesn't just have a mother. That child also has a father. And we see as men... uh, come to the Lord and get spiritually sensitive and start to wake up their conscience and fall in the hardness of the heart, uh, that's one of the things that really comes out because um, cause that they were the father of a child that they, um, you know, either encouraged or helped or recommended or demanded that the mother um, choose that choice. Again, it, uh, so anyways, back to my story, that's what happened with the father of my child. So after we were together two years and then we broke up because of the, the aftermath of abortion, of course, I didn't know the Lord, he didn't know the Lord, but he ended up coming to, to he met some Lutheran friends and they actually led him to the Lord and he became a Christian. So we were split up for about a year, but in that time, 
instead of being broken, I became angry and hard. So I was running. So I went and threw myself into more crazy relationships, more sexual activity, more drugs, not or drugs, let's just say. I began then. And that's another thing. When a woman violates her design in that way, the fact that they that women have these kind of things where they will begin to uh, just do self-harming things, and it's almost like you're, well, I'm nothing now. And, again, this is not things that they think in their head, but it is something that comes out in their actions. So then it's like, well, if, if I don't, if I can't even have my own child, then what good am I? So then I entered into terrible, you know, debauchery of sex and drugs and whatever else, which is just an expression of I'm nothing and not valuable because look what I did to my child. Again, not a conscious thought, but it, it's a, a spiritual result because we're all spiritual beings and we, we incurred an injury. So the father of my children became a Christian and then actually we got back together and he ended up leading me to the Lord. And, and so we were four more years together as Christians but never got married, even Aww. though we would have both said we loved each other and we were committed to each other as far as loving each other. But we never could get to the place where marriage was concerned. And again, because there's a fatal blow that comes to any relationship that has sacrificed a child between them. We know statistically that uh, it's like 98% of relationships that that have had an abortion do not end up. They end up breaking up. And this is even true of married people because we have married people now also going to the abortion clinic. And so it comes back to this um, deep injury that happens in the spiritual being. Uh, Because you see, when you produce a child, that should be what? God's design is that you love each other, you're in relationship, there's a sexual relationship, hopefully, you know, designed to to take place within the marriage covenant, and then a child comes forth, and then that family becomes enriched, right? But what happens with an abortion is that we just said, okay, this beautiful gift that God's given us is a blessing. We don't want it. And so we take it and throw it away. And that then becomes a very, um, uh, yeah, a very injuring thing to a relationship, married or not married. So we went through all of that. And um, it was a, a painful thing. And in the end, of all that, I I still see him on occasion every once in a while, although he lives in California and I live in Texas, and he's a Christian counselor, and, you know, he's had his path to healing, and I've had mine, and basically what what happened is I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what, and I, I had worked in California for them in the mental health field, mostly in state hospitals with the mentally retarded. And had really came to the to the place of just going, okay, I love what I do, but I want to do what I do for Jesus. So that was in 77, I guess, yes, because it was 79. I came to, uh, I came into Youth with the Mission in 1979. Youth with the Mission is a missionary international uh, missions organization. And so I joined that um a missionary endeavor in 1979. And so 
I've been a missionary to the United States for since 1979. When I came in to become a missionary, I thought I was going to go to the Philippines and, um, you know, work with the poor and needy in the Philippines uh, after I had finished my missionary training. But two years after that, before I'd actually gotten on to the foreign field, I met a young girl here in our city and tried to help her get that free pregnancy test that ended up with the story that I started this uh, conversation with. That uh, And so the, the Lord just really used that and just began to expand the ministries of living alternatives from the, from the get-go in 1982. So um, so that's kind of how it happened. It's just the Lord using beauty from ashes and really bringing, you know, there's nothing that we've done if we can come to the place of acknowledging our own responsibility and truly repenting that God doesn't free us. You know, he, he does free us. He does forgive us, you know. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the only way to become whole when you've experienced abortion is the only path is through the heart of the Lord because he's the only one who can really forgive us. So I don't struggle with guilt, but that does not mean that I don't have remorse or regret. I live with remorse and regret. You know, um, my if you I had a gallbladder surgery many years ago. You know, I never think about my gallbladder. I don't wonder. Oh, what day? I don't have. They don't have anniversary dates. There's not an anniversary date that I remember. Oh, I had that gallbladder surgery. I don't care what they did with my gallbladder. You see, but my babies. Now that's a whole other thing. They do have anniversary dates. I know when my babies were aborted. I know when they were conceived. I know when their birthday would have been. So every year those dates round the round the 365 days a year come back and come back and come back so which is just another testimony that we're not talking about pregnancy tissue we're talking about human beings and we're talking about my children now because i process through with the lord at some very deep levels you know i have remorse and regret that Sean and Melissa, those are my children. They have names. They're not abortions. I know that Sean and Melissa are in heaven with Jesus, and someday I'm going to be with them again. So my hope is in heaven and in the Lord. When I die, I'll be excited to see Jesus, and I'll also be excited to embrace my children. So there's not, you know, that that's where, you, where post-aborted people who are really free have come to to say, okay, I'm guilty. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He's the one who's deserved my life, my whole life, whatever. And so I'm not going to let the enemy, I'm not going to let the devil get more of my life by keeping me in a state of, you know, not being able to reproduce myself spiritually into others and to help them find the right, find the find God's path through their pain of having lost a child or even just an unplanned pregnancy, and, uh, whatever the outcome is. See, with an unplanned pregnancy, go ahead. And, and Beth, uh, just like you took what you went through and said, let me come a- across and help this lady, 
how many people have you now? I mean, we also know there's a multiplication factor in the ministry that you've started because not just have you helped the woman, but you've helped their child, then you've helped the families that go with these children, the fathers. And I mean, there's just a huge multiplication factor all the way around. But how many women have you now documented so far that uh, have been helped, just the women alone? I think you started this conversation asking me about my statistics. I don't keep statistics. I don't know. I'm sure. I don't know. I'm sure thousands and thousands. You know, we see even today we see over we see 130 girls a a a month that come through our testing center. You know, we see probably 20 young women a year that or more that come through our maternity home facility. You know, so it it just gets astronomical. We've helped train. 70 centers in 25 different states back in the 80s and in seven other countries. And so so there's definitely a, a, an exponential multiplica- multiplicator on the exactly. thing, that, you know, in from my-, my life. But, you know, Julie, even when I say that, the you know, it doesn't really matter how many babies I save or how many I've really touched. None of those would replace the two that I destroyed. And so, you know, this is not about a, uh, it's not a, a makeup kind of thing, but it's more, it's really a spiritual principle that God brings beauty from ashes and the devil will not win. And even though my children are in heaven, he does not win. I will see them again. They, we will live for eternity together. And he's not going to win here either. I remember when I was fighting through all this stuff with the Lord praying through, you know, just saying, God, how do I... How do I live with myself? Lord, I've taken two lives. Even if I take my own life, it won't replace two. And then just have the sense that God's saying to me, I know, Bev, that's right. You can't take your own life to pay for the two, but I can. My life did. And I love you, and I'm redeeming you, and I'm not done with you. And so, you know, it's, it's the economy of God to take hard things and bring beautiful things from it. See, I think that's my point. My point, what I'm trying to say is anybody that, you know, when they're listening, Mm -hmm. that God is not done with us. No, never. But what he can use is what we come with, and what Mm -hmm. we come with, he will refine it and let it bless others. If we'll just allow ourselves to be free and open, and per se, if you want to say this, open up our closet and clean it out so we can help others. That's what the enemy intended for evil. We can bring back a hundred times good. Yeah. I I mean, I remember even in those days when it was tough, you know, it was probably three years of processing through this because when I went through this, this was long before we had post-abortion ministries. You know, we, you know, they're, anyone can find a post-abortion ministry to be to get involved with if they've had an abortion uh, because they are literally in, you just call your local pregnancy resource center or crisis pregnancy center or whatever it's called in your area and ask them about post-abortion support groups um, and Bible studies and I can guarantee you're going to find, find one. But when I worked through all of this, there was, that, that support did not exist. And so I really just went to the Lord with it, and I remember in some of those prayer times just 
crying out to the Lord and at the same time telling the devil, you know, you're going to be so sorry you ever messed with me, devil, because I'm going to get through this with the Lord and I'm going to come back a hundred times for good every place that you've touched my life for evil. So I kind of laugh at that now when I, when I think of my determination back then. But, but that's exactly what, you know, the Lord has done. So we just... We need not to stay in the closet with whatever it is, whether it's abortion or some other kind of sin in our life, because really God sees it. He's already died for it. And he's actually the Lord, you know, grieves because he wants to be in relationship with us. And when we have broken places in our lives that we're not allowing him into, then he can't have relationship with us, right? So he wants to say, I forgive you. Give me your ashes. I want to bring beauty not just so I can use your life to do great and wonderful things, but really so that we can be back into solid and deep relationship with him. That's what the Lord wants. And so we don't want to grieve his heart by um, not walking in fullness of our relationship with him to the, you know, the degree that we can as we, you know, put off the sin that, that uh, would want to anchor our feet into dark areas. Yeah. Um, also, too, if uh, people might be dealing with any of the remorse from past mistakes, mm-hmm. uh, just that didn't turn out the way that they would hope it would have turned out, that um, to allow, to uh, seek God to allow this healing that they need so that they can be whole, and live life the rest of their life to the fullest because I've noticed, and I think you've been saying this too, that when you mask things, you're entering into another relationship or parenthood with, you're not completely 100% there. Right, right. And so therefore, God is is so good, even one time with... with uh, Showing, showing me that not understanding why when you're detached, you can't be the mother that you want to be. Right. And you detach when you have pain naturally. Right. I think it's just a, a mm-hmm. function that we, a survival function. Correct. And uh, if, we're, if we're masking that pain, we're not able to turn around and and go into the next season that God has with us whole. So that's just my, my two cents for people uh, to um, come forth you're... and allow the healing to come forth, not to mask this and to seek, right. seek counsel or seek, uh, I mean, maybe some of these, you, you already said the resources are mm-hmm. um, Bible studies or there are counselors out there. or Absolutely. Uh, Yes, or groups where people relate and understand and can encourage. You know, seek a safe place. That's right, all, a safe place. Yes, yes, a place yeah. where you can be understood and and embraced in in the pain of. That's all you know, caught up inside because we. What do they say? You never bury anything dead. We bury it alive. You know the mm-hmm. the pain that we've gone through. So we we want to push it down and say it's not there, but really it's very much alive and it's taking tolls in other aspects of our lives. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to end with one last thing that I know that 
I find very encouraging, but you have now been asked to help, last time I heard you, in um, an help with the foster, is it the foster children? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that was another amazing door that the Lord opened to us and with our local court here in, in, in uh, East Texas. We have a judge that hears 100% of child protective cases in our particular county. And so she, we had been, of course, we've been doing uh, ad- infant adoptions in her court because that's once you get through all the ministry part to, to the mother and to the birth family, and help, then when the adoption is finalized six months after a child is, is placed in a home, then we would go before her bench and we would finalize these adoptions. And so she came to me and said, Bev, I see all these great Christian families that are coming in and adopting children. Will you help me find homes for my kids? And I said, your kids? Who are your kids? And then she began to explain to me about the kids that are removed by Child Protective Services, you know, because of abuse and neglect. And she had quite a number uh, on, you know, in her court that were kids that had already been, uh, the rights had been terminated to the biological parents and they were needing families. And I said, sure, I can do that, but I don't contract, I don't have a contract with the state to do that. And so um, basically when you're a child placing agency, you need to contract, have a contract with the state to do it. But anyways, through a lot of wonderful and amazing ways, we're able to help find families with our, because of our, our license as an adoption agency, we're able to find families and place them into Christian homes. And most all of our families that foster to adopt do not receive um finances to do that. Uh, It's another complicated subject, but most of our kids in foster care in America today are in foster homes, and in order for those homes to to take them, they have to work with a licensed agency. In order for the licensed agency to get the kids, they have to contract with the state, and that's where the money comes back through in order to pay the agency and to pay the couples, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, just as a missionary, we didn't want to um, take state money and and end up working for yeah. the state instead of for the ministry that we're doing. And so this particular judge has opened up the doors that we're able to use our state license uh, and to find Christian families and place children into Christian homes. If somebody is now in their heart sitting there going, you know, this would be something that I would be interested in uh, mm-hmm. researching, contacting you. How could they become a family? Mm-hmm. What are the courses they go through mm-hmm. uh, to maybe mm-hmm. eventually? Well, we just, we just work in Texas. I guess that's the first thing. But if they're wanting to adopt a child, from there are many children, you know, <laughs> way outside of our area and so whatever area they're in, I would say call Child Protective Services in their particular county and really find out what is the process. Now, there, all, the agent, all the agencies that, the large agencies are placing children from Child Protective Services, so they should call around the different agencies and find out, you know, which ones are holding the same values they do as Christians. Adoption agencies, we're, we're all licensed by our particular states, but 
we all are very different. There's a, even though every agency has to meet certain minimum standards, our modus operandi is going to be different according to the values that those particular agencies hold. Now, if they're in Texas, then they can, they can certainly email me, Bev, at livingalternatives.org, and uh, I would be happy to at least direct them or send them you know, some information if they're in Texas and wanted to work with us. Um, so, yes, we're available. We want to do what we can to help kids uh, and families unite, whether that's older kids that are in Child Protective Services or whether that's uh, newborn infants uh, with, um, you know, birth moms and birth families that are making loving um, decisions to place their children. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Todd, is there anything else you'd like to? I was just thinking about one thing she said. You know, when we interviewed uh, Dr. Alveda King, mm-hmm. um, she had had, I, I don't remember, I think it was, it was two abortions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then finally she was going to have a third abortion, and Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. said to her, it's not a blob of flesh. That's right. Which I guess that's really what they were just saying back then because I kind of heard you word the same thing. It's not a blob of flesh. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I praise God for your ministry because uh, I know that probably a lot of them, when they come to you, they that's probably what they're thinking in their mind. Well, it's just a blob of flesh. It's not a, you know. Mm-hmm. And... I'm having my gallbladder removed <laughs> or my tonsils out. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly uh, mm-hmm. what I see, you know, that they mm-hmm. – and so um, I, I just think it's an incredible story. And I, what I would like is for you to pray over, you know, the audience that will be listening or be listening in the future because I know God's tugging on a lot of their hearts, you know, hey, don't give up your baby or, hey – you know, there is another way or, mm-hmm. you know, go adopt or go help, you know, or support, you That's know, right. I mean, y'all need support too. So That's right. We all do mm-hmm. that are out here in the trenches battling for life. That's right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sure. Well, I'd be happy to do that. Father, I just come to you right now and Lord, the just the just the incredible tools that we have with radio and all the different ways of communication. We have no idea who would be, who is listening, and who will be listening even in the future at some point. So, God, but you know every single one of them right where they're at, even right now, sitting, listening, and pondering the deep things of the discussion that we've just had. So, God, I pray that you would meet them very personally, especially those in unplanned pregnancies or those who are like me that made the destructive decision to end the life of an unborn child. God, I pray that your hands and arms would be around them, Lord, that you would, uh, that they would sense your presence so close, not in condemnation, Lord, but in just love and, and God, that they would just see that there's nothing too grievous that you um, would reject them for, Lord. God, Jesus, you laid your life down on the cross exactly for this very reason so that we could be reconciled to you regardless of where the dark places that we've been. So, God, I just pray victory over these women and men 
that you would give them strength, Lord, to uh, see the truth and to walk toward you with it in repentance and and really sense your forgiveness, Lord, and that their life would be whole again, restored, and ready to give 100%. I pray for the others, too, Lord, that may be listening, that you would put a call upon their life to support uh, financially or to get involved in volunteering at their local uh, centers of where hope is being extended every single day to women and men uh, that are facing this darkness. So, Lord, we just ask for revival in our nation, God. We ask, Lord, that you would wake us up as the body of Christ and God, that we would see uh, that we would see just a, a move toward life and away from death in our nation. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We love serving you. You're so worthy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for being on, Bev. Sure. We thank, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Blessings. Thank, thank you. Bye, dear. Bye. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.